Welcome once again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We do appreciate you tuning in again this week as we look into the precious words of the living God every week here on the Bible study program of Searching the Scriptures. This is a ministry of Bluegrass Pike Baptist Church from right here in Danville, Kentucky. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop, and it's my privilege to have an open Bible before me today and another opportunity to expound the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You say, well, how do you know that you're telling the truth? Well, you wouldn't know unless you had a Bible and you checked me. And I challenge my listening audience to check me with the Word of God. Get your Bible out, follow along where I'm at, and see if I'm not telling you the truth. What we're interested on this program is what God said. And what God said is found in the 66 books of your Bible. The old authorized version King James Bible is what I have on the table before me today. And uh, I'm just here to encourage you to get your Bible open and check me out. Because we're interested in what the facts are, what the truth is. Jesus said this. He prayed to his Father in John chapter 17, verse 17. And he said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is a wonderful thing, but faith has got to be founded upon the facts. And the facts are found in this blessed old book. What's your faith in today? Is it in the facts of the Bible? Is it in the facts of the gospel as shown and, and uh, displayed here in the Word of God? We want to get uh, people's faith back where it matters. And the faith is uh, to be built upon the Word of God. The old songwriter said, What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? And listen, uh, what God said is found in the precious Word of God. And so on this program, we want to search the Scriptures and help you out. This week, let's go to Luke chapter 23. And we want to start uh, talking some. I'm going to preach a couple of messages uh, today and possibly over the next couple of uh, broadcasts. We want to talk about and expound uh, the sayings of our Lord Jesus Christ as He hung upon the cross. Now, if you know your Bible much at all, if you have paid attention to the gospel accounts of the crucifixion, and you begin to put all of the accounts together, I'm talking about what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were led of the Holy Spirit to write down. When you begin to assemble all of the details of the crucifixion, we find out that Jesus Christ, our Lord, was crucified. He was hung on the cross and nailed to it around 9 o'clock uh, that morning, according to Mark chapter 15. Around noon, the land became dark and the sun was blotted out for about three hours until Jesus Christ died at about three o'clock that afternoon. So Jesus, our Lord, hung on the cross for six hours. During those six hours, if you'll study the gospel accounts, you'll find out this very interesting truth. You'll find out that Jesus Christ speaks seven times from the cross while he was suffering there for me and you. And what everything Jesus Christ has to say, what he had to say is very, very instructive and is full of rich truth. And we want to expound and talk about the seven sayings of our Lord Jesus Christ while he hung on Calvary's cross. So this week, let's go to Luke chapter 23 and let's go to verse 33. Let's pick it up there. Luke chapter 23, verse 33. The Bible says this, and when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there... They crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And so here we have in verse 33, we have the place called Calvary in the Bible. It's the place where our Lord Jesus Christ died for sinners like me and you. 
Jesus Christ uh, was obedient unto death. In other words, he was so willing to do the Father's will that he was even willing to obey the Father when the Father said, I need you and want you to die. And listen, he was obedient unto death, according to Philippians chapter 2. But it wasn't just any death. The Bible says, even the death of the cross. In other words, what we're reading about here in Luke chapter 23, verse 33, and this uh, public execution by crucifixion outside the city walls of Jerusalem, what we're reading about is not a heroic death. This is not people standing and cheering the Lord. You know, sometimes uh, we will, and rightfully so, we'll applaud our first responders or, or we take our hats off and we have a moment of silence and remembrance of people who uh, in their duty, the line of duty, they rushed into a burning building to save people and in the process of going in and out ended up giving their life. Uh, those people are heroes and we uh, rightfully honor them. We honor those who give their lives. If you're a true American, you'll honor those who give their lives in the military and those who uh, go over and, and are willing to lay their life down for our freedoms and our way of life here in America. And rightfully, you honor those people. I have people in my own family that have given their life's blood for our country. And I'm sure those of you listening have many like that as well. And we applaud those, those type of deaths. Those are heroic deaths and we honor that the memory of that but listen to me when Jesus Christ obeyed his father's will and became obedient unto death it wasn't the death of a martyr and it wasn't the death of a hero Jesus Christ had no one applauding him and and cheering him as he died in fact he was deserted and forsaken of man and we'll see that at one point on the cross he was forsaken of God according to his own testimony and the point I want you to understand is that the cross this crucifixion, uh, this form of execution and uh, capital punishment that the Roman army inflicted upon criminals of that day was a shameful, shameful, disgraceful death. This was not a hero's death. This was the death of a man who submitted himself to the cruelest, most agonizing form of torture and death that you could uh, be subjected to. And on top of that, the people who passed by and the society of that day looked upon the cross. It was a, it was an emblem of suffering and shame, as the songwriter said. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, as we look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, it says of Jesus Christ that who for the joy that was set before him, listen, endured the cross, despising the shame. The cross was a shameful way to die. And we find here Jesus Christ dying just as Isaiah 53 said he would. Isaiah 53 says that our Lord, who was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, would be, quote, numbered with the transgressors. And here in Luke 23, verse 33, we see that prophecy being fulfilled some 800 years after Isaiah had spoken the prophecy by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Here at this place, which is called Calvary, they crucify our Lord in the most shameful and excruciating uh, excruciatingly painful and humiliating death that there was to die. Jesus Christ being obedient and humbling himself unto death. And it says here that there were two malefactors that were hanged with him. Now a malefactor, for those who might be confused about that word, it's really not hard to figure out. Obviously these are criminals, but these are not just any criminals. These are criminals. A malefactor is a criminal worthy of death. Uh, that was uh, on death row, if you will. That's what a malefactor was. 
And it says he is in the middle of these. He's numbered with the transgressors. And in verse 34, we see the first thing that the Lord Jesus Christ says. Of the seven sayings from the cross, here is the first one. After being nailed to the tree and and lifted up between heaven and earth, his cross dropped into a hole as he hangs there by the road in a thoroughfare as people go in and out of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Above his cross is the superscription, this is Jesus Christ of Nazareth the king of the Jews. And here in verse 34, here's the first thing the Lord Jesus said. Verse 34 says, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the Bible says they parted his raiment and cast lots. Now, we notice, first of all, this first saying, this first first cry, if you will, from the cross is once again our Lord Jesus Christ and all of his compassion and grace and humility and all of his perfection and sinlessness, what do we find the Lord Jesus crying out in his agony, uh, not only emotionally and spiritually what was going on, but also the pain and the suffering. His flesh has been whipped off of his back. Uh, He's been scourged by the Roman uh, lashes of the Roman whip. He has been spit upon. His beard has been plucked from his cheeks. Uh, a A crown of thorns has been woven by the Uh, mockery of the Roman soldiers and they have beat it down into his brow until it's fastened into his face and into his uh, brow and around his head and the blood uh, welts out around those long thorns and rolls down our Lord's face and the spittle drips from his face and the flesh is hanging in ribbons and he is suffering more than any man ever suffered and while he's nailed to a cross in the midst of his agony the first thing he prays for is for his murderers he says father Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now listen to me. Pilate knew that he was condemning an innocent and a just man to death. Why, Pilate, the Bible says, knew that for envy, uh, Jesus Christ's accusers and tormentors had delivered him up to be crucified because they were envious. The religious leaders of the day were envious of Jesus Christ. Remember, they could not find an accusation to bring against him that would stick They couldn't find him having done anything wrong. At one point during his earthly ministry, our Lord Jesus Christ asked the question of those religious leaders. He says, which of you convinceth me of sin? In other words, show me what I've done wrong. They couldn't do it then. They couldn't do it at his crucifixion. And friend, you can't do it today. Oh, I know Hollywood and all of their blasphemous trash when they try to do movies about the Bible. They make up movies like The Last Temptation of Christ, which was nothing more than a blasphemous piece of trash put out by filthy Hollywood producers. And the only reason that they put out a movie like that is because humanity cannot, still to this day, cannot stand to be around or to know of a perfect, innocent, and spotless, pure man. And my friend, that's exactly what our Lord Jesus Christ is. That Bible describes him as holy, harmless, undefiled, And separate from sinners. Uh, Listener, he's not like you. And he's not like me. This is the Lamb of God. Which came to save sinners. The Lamb of God who came to take upon himself the sin of the world. And friend, that's what he did. And yet the first thing that falls from his lips is not a cry for mercy for himself. He's not crying out uh, in in hysteria. He's not crying out in agony, although he is going through agony like nobody could understand. And yet the first thing that falls from our lovely Lord Jesus' lips is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as I said before, the religious leaders knew he was innocent. 
Uh, Pilate, the Roman governor, knew he was innocent. Herod knew he was innocent. Judas Iscariot, a devil that had planted a kiss of betrayal upon our Lord's cheek earlier and polluted that face with his, his filthy betrayal, kiss of betrayal. All of these men knew that Jesus Christ was a guiltless, innocent man. And listen, there was nobody there, even the Roman soldiers, that knew this man had done nothing wrong. So you say, preacher, why did Jesus pray, forgive them, for they know not what they do? Well, they here's what they didn't know. Here was their ignorance. Oh, they knew they had an innocent man, and they didn't care. But what they didn't know, are you listening? What they did not know was that the man that they have just nailed to the tree is actually God manifest in the flesh. In other words, they are crucifying the Lord of glory. Did you get that, Mr. Jehovah's Witness? They're crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ, who was God, come down and took upon himself, amen, took upon himself human flesh. That Bible says the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Listen, and the Word was God. And that Word came down and became flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. You know what those men didn't understand? Those that nailed him to the cross and stood there mocking him at the foot of his cross. Oh, they knew he was a unique man. They knew he hadn't been guilty of anything. But what they were ignorant of was the fact that it was the Lord of glory that they were crucifying that day. Had they known it was the Lord of glory, they would, have not, they would not have crucified him. But in their ignorance, they had done this. In their ignorance, they had hung him on the cross. That Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, 7, We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. Listen, I'm in 1 Corinthians 2, 8. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Jesus Christ is praying for his murderers because they had nailed him to a cross. Unbeknownst, they are putting to death the Prince of Life, the very creator of the universe. That Bible says that the world was made by him and without him was not anything made. And Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, is being crucified. You say, how is that possible? Because he came down and submitted and subjected himself to this very thing and was turned over and allowed himself to, to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. And here in verse 34 of Luke 23, the first cry from the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now drop down a little ways and you'll come to verse uh, 40 and we're going to see what prompted the Lord to speak for a second time from Calvary's cross. We see him first praying for his murderers and then we see he has a word for one of the malefactors. The Bible says in verse 40, the other, speaking of uh, the two thieves, the two malefactors, one was railing on him, but the other answering rebuked him saying, I'm in Luke 23 verse 40. Here's a dying thief. And he says, Does not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. Ah, yes, there's the truth if it's ever been told. Listen, when you go down through the chapter of Luke 23, you find men coming face to face with the truth incarnate. Jesus is the truth. He said it in his ministry in John 14, 6. The Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. While the truth had passed by many a man that day, Pilate was careless with the truth. Herod was curious about the truth. Uh, the malefactor in verse 39 was contrary to the truth. But finally, we find a fourth man here in verses 40 and 41, and he confesses the truth, and he ends up getting saved. And I'm going to tell you why he got saved. He got truthful about two people. And listen, my friend, if you ever get saved, you'll have to get honest and truthful and sincere about two people. You say, who, who, what two people do I have to be sincere about and tell the truth about? Well, just like the thief who said, we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. Listen, you have to get honest and tell the truth, first of all, about yourself. You have to confess the truth about you. There's nothing good about you. All of your, self, all of your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That's what the Bible says. It says there is none good. All we preach out on the street here in Danville, and there's different reactions to it. But I love the people that come by in their proud self-righteousness and throw their hand up when you simply speak to them and offer them a gospel track, showing them the way of life. And they throw their hand up and say, no, thanks. I'm good. Not according to the word of God. You'll have to get over yourself if you're ever going to get saved. You want to be right with God? You want to be born again? You want to know what it is to pass from death to life? The first thing you have to get honest about is yourself. You have to confess the truth and agree with what God says about you. you. Say, what's God say about us? He says, there is none righteous, no, not one. For there is none good. There's only one good, and that is God. There is none good. There is none righteous, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This old boy right here in verses 40 and 41 admits that. He says, we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But notice he says in, at the end of verse 41, but this man, speaking of Jesus Christ, hath done nothing amiss. So he confesses the truth about himself, but then, friend, he turns in repentance to God and he confesses the truth about the man Christ Jesus, who, as I have already stated, is holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. He was the only innocent, sinless man that ever walked the face of the earth. He's the Lamb of God without spot and without blemish. He knew no sin he did no sin. In him was no sin. And he came and took upon himself our sin and became our substitute. And in verse 42, look at it with me. This dying thief, after confessing the truth about himself and about the Lord Jesus, simply looks in faith to Jesus Christ and he prays this simple prayer. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Notice the thief's faith is strong. He doesn't say, remember me if thou comest into thy kingdom. But he says emphatically with confidence, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And our Lord Jesus speaks for the second time from the cross. And in verse 43, Jesus says unto him, Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now I'm telling you what, that's a load of comfort and assurance to this old dying thief. He was asking to be remembered whenever the kingdom came. Jesus Christ let him know, I'll, I'll uh, uh, match that request and I'll give you something better. I'll do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or think, old malefactor friend. In fact, today, you ain't got to wait for the kingdom. Today, when you die and your soul departs from your body, and that's what death is according to Genesis 35, 18. It's a departure. It's the soul departing from this old earthly house. Well, Jesus Christ told that old dying thief when he repented and and called upon his name, Jesus took time, time out of his sufferings and in the midst of his agonies, 
we see him telling an old dying thief that today, not next week, not in a thousand years, but today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Not only would it be soon that the thief would be in paradise, but one of the great truths is the fact that he would be with Jesus Christ. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And can I tell you something? Heaven is heaven because our Lord Jesus is there. Hey, saved Christian friend that are listening today, don't you look forward to the day you'll see Jesus Christ face to face? Don't you look forward to the day that you'll be able to bow at his feet and shed those bitter hot tears of thankfulness, rejoicing because you finally come face to face with your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, with the one who was wounded for your transgressions, And come up from the dead for your justification and graciously by his all-powerful, omnipotent hand, his mercy and grace reached down and saved you when you simply received him as your Lord and Savior. You'll finally get to see the one who died for you, the one you've sung about all your life, the one you've prayed to in the darkest hours of your life, the one that you've worshipped, amen, as you heard uh, the congregation singing, the one that you've come to church, the one that you've given to missions to send ministers and servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, this man that you've never seen with the naked physical eye, but you've seen with the eye of faith. One day, friend, when you get to heaven, we're going to see him and we'll see him as he is, for we shall be like him, the Bible says. And I'm going to tell you, while it's wonderful to think about heaven as the great city described there in Revelation 21, it's wonderful to think about the mansions and the street of gold. It's wonderful to think about all of the the saints that are there, all of our saved loved ones that have gone on before, and how wonderful it is to think about that great reunion. But I tell you, it would be be incomplete, and it wouldn't be heaven at all if Jesus Christ were not there In fact, when the Bible gives us the great promises of his return one day to catch away the church, he said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Listen, that where I am, there you may be also. You know what the old uh, maniac of Gadara there in Mark chapter 5, you know what his desire was? He wanted to be with Jesus Christ. And the Lord told him, no, I want you to go home and you tell and you show your friends and family what great things the Lord had done for thee. We'll get together again another time. Why over in 1 Thessalonians 4, those words that are said to be comforting to us, Those words that are designed to give us comfort. Friend, it says that the Lord will catch us away. We'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And it says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Listen, what makes heaven so wonderful is the fact that Jesus is there. And I'm going to tell you what a great word of comfort. Here it is, Jesus Christ, the second cry from the cross is an answer to a man's prayer for salvation. And Jesus Christ told that old dying malefactor, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. A word of comfort, a word of ministry. Listen, I'm telling you what we're seeing here. The first two things Jesus has said while he is nailed to a cross, suffering and dying for us. He's praying for his murderers. And he gave a word of a salvation assurance to an old malefactor. Look now in your Bible. Turn to John chapter 19. We're going somewhere with all of this. We're going to look at the first three things that fell from the lips of our Lord Jesus as he suffered on Calvary's cross. And if you'll turn in your Bible to John chapter 19 now, I want you to go down with me and pick it up in verse 25. John chapter 19, verse 25. 
we see these lovely words. John 19, verse 25, it says this. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. So here's four women that are standing there at the foot of the cross. There's only one man uh, that uh, was a uh, follower of the Lord that made it to the cross, and that was the Apostle John. John, according to uh, his own writings, is the apostle whom Jesus loved. You will find that uh, proven in John chapter 21. But John was the apostle whom Jesus loved, and he, while he did forsake him and flee the night of the arrest, John quickly uh, uh, assembled himself inside of Annas and Caiaphas's hall to watch the end, and he followed the Lord all the way to the cross and was standing there with those four women while the Lord Jesus Christ suffered and died there on Calvary's cross. Now, verse 26, let's look at it. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the, to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. And so what you have going on here in verses 26 and 27 is the Lord Jesus Christ taking care of business uh, concerning making provision for his mother's well-being. Obviously, Joseph, his stepfather, is already off the scene. Joseph had died somewhere during our Lord's uh, first 33 years. We know that Joseph was living in Luke 2 when Jesus was 12 years old. For Joseph and Mary both came back to the temple seeking him after they had forgotten him there in Jerusalem at the feast in Luke chapter 2. But Joseph was off the scene. There was no man to take care of the Lord's dear mother Mary. And he here is once again speaking from the cross. We've seen him praying for his murderers. We've seen him given a word of assurance and salvation to a malefactor. And here he has a word for his dear mother. And that word is none other than here is your son and, and disciple John. I want you to look at my mother Mary as your own mother. And listen, John understood completely, fully what the Lord Jesus Christ was handing over to him. He was giving John a responsibility, a special, special thing, a special responsibility to care for his dear mother. For the Lord Jesus knew that he would come up from the dead soon, but he also knew that he would be ascending back to heaven to take his seat at the right hand of his father and going back to glory where he came down from. And so he knew that his dear mother Mary had many years probably left to live upon this earth and needed a man to watch after her and to take care of her needs. And John was the one that was given this great provision. Even in death, even as Jesus is suffering and dying on the cross, here's what I want you to see. Jesus Christ had in mind others. He prayed for his murderers. He gave a word of assurance to a repentant malefactor. He gave the word of provision to, for his, to John for his dear mother Mary. And you know what's amazing? The first three cries that fall from our Lord's lips were words of comfort and ministry and help and intercession for others. And can I close today's lesson by simply telling you that the great secret of Christian living is others. Others, others. Read Philippians chapter 2. Listen, Jesus' example is, he goes, I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And let me close and give you a secret of the Christian life in the next 60 seconds. 
Those of you that have listened this far, Jesus sets the example, even as he was suffering at the hands of sinful men, was still thinking of others and ministering to others. And friend, the reason you're depressed, the reason you can't get along in most churches that you go to is because you're still all about yourself. You're so full of yourself. You're offended easily. You're discouraged easily. You're always uh, looking around and insecure about who's shaking your hand and who isn't. Friends, you'll never grow in the Christian life as long as you're consumed with yourself. Do you know what the secret to Christian living is, victorious Christian living? It's losing yourself by ministering and being a blessing to others. Others. You know what the old timers used to say? They'd give the acrostic to the word joy, which meant J, Jesus first, O, others, and Y is yourself last. And friend, if you'll ever get a hold of this ministering to others, you'll pull yourself up out of the doldrums and out of the self-pity that you find yourself in. That's all the time we have for this week. May God help you to apply these truths. Until next week, may the Lord bless you as you serve Him.